Good morning. I've got a couple of announcements before we get started in the message today. One is just a Harvey Fund update. Last week I offered a challenge that if we were able to raise 18000 that Oikos as a community would match that 18000 so that we would have at least 36000 to offer to those who have been affected by Harvey. As of today, we've had a total of 12 donors, and that equaled $21,000, $735. So, yes, let's give thanks. Let's do that all together. Thank you, God. So with our match, we have a total of $43,470 to give out. As of today, we've helped three families with $1,500 and around $1,500. A lot of this, as I've been speaking to the families, is a wait and see. They're trying to figure out what is insurance going to cover exactly and what is what will FEMA actually do? What kind of support will they receive from their immediate family? And so as we work with people, I actually think those needs are going to become even more present as we press on through the coming months. But that doesn't mean that you cannot or that you need to withhold your giving. You can continue to give. Again, we had 12 donors. I know we have more than 12 people at Oikos, right? And you can give a dollar. You can give $10. You can give more than $10. And God honors that just as he honors our tithe. So as we give to this community that matched the 18,000, he honors what you give. He doesn't look at someone who gives a penny and say, that's not worth it. And the people who receive this honor what you give. We have another request, and that request is from our sister church on the other side of Houston, Pilgrim Lutheran. Now, some of this you're not aware of, but your pastor's always working behind the scenes. And Pilgrim Lutheran, I see, is a strategic partner in reaching the inner loop of Houston. We're on one side, right, our campus. They're on the other side. But they have a, a dynamic leader, Josh Duffy, who's been leading his community. He's only been there a couple years. And he's trying to get them from a community that looked inward into a community that looks outward, even more so. And he's working hard. And they got hit pretty hard because they're in the Meyerland area. So they have cleaned out, I believe, almost 60 homes. They've collected the addresses of those people who they have helped with physical needs, but we know that physical is only part of our well-being. We don't only look at physical, we also look at emotional and spiritual needs. And they would like us to come in behind them and address some of the spiritual and emotional needs. So what I'm asking from all of us is if you can give a dollar towards the Harvey Fund up and above your normal tithe, awesome. Do that. If you want to pr proceed and kind of participate in this ministry of helping those with emotional and spiritual needs, we need you. Obviously, I'm probably not going to get to all 60. I'll just tell you, I won't get to all 60. Something will happen in between each time I go and visit someone. And you almost should say, if I'm going to go visit one of these families, 
it's probably at minimum an hour of my time. Do you have an hour to give? Now, you may go, I'm already back to work. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that. I think I have phone numbers for every one of these individuals. So I'm sure they will receive you early morning. If you can meet them for coffee, you may not be able to meet them at their house. Or they may be able to receive you in the evening or during your lunch hour, an hour of your time. To facilitate this, I am the worst person to contact. Just tell you. I wish I was better, but I'm the worst person. So Sylvia, Sylvia, would you just stand up real quick? I want to, can we give thanks for Sylvia? She doesn't like all this, but. There may be an assumption that Sylvia works full-time for Oikos, but she does not. She's, she works more than full-time, and she gets paid kind of part-time. And so she's offered her, actually Sylvia is, she loves this kind of ministry of moving into someone, not moving into, but actually walking into someone's home, hearing their spiritual needs, addressing those spiritual needs and emotional needs, and giving time to listen and pray. All of you can do those same things. You are equipped. Why are you equipped? Because the Holy Spirit himself is in you. You have the space and time to listen and then to offer a prayer. And some of you will say, oh, I don't really know how to pray. Well, guess what? The Spirit himself prays for you. So listen and pray. If you want to do this ministry, and I am pleading, if you haven't got that yet, contact Sylvia. You can email her, sylvia at theoikos.org, or you can contact her in any other way. Grab her before you leave and say, I want to at least try. And she'll assign you one of these individuals who just need care. You may hit some roadblocks, because guess what? Satan doesn't want us to do a ministry of reconciliation. He doesn't want to do a ministry of healing. He doesn't want us to be doing ministry at all. So you may try to call this person. You may not get an answer. You may go and show up at their address, and they said they're going to meet you, and they're not there. And what I want you to do is say, but I'm here for the Lord, and so whatever he presents, I'm okay with. Can you do that? Are we all ready for this? <laughs> Are we all ready for this? Okay. We're in this together. You don't have to do this by yourself. In fact, I would encourage you to grab someone to go with you. We do know that going in pairs is the best. Grab your spouse or grab someone from the church. Grab someone who's not a part of Oikos. I don't care. You are his ambassadors, and we get to bring peace. I hope that that's enough for you guys to get out there. Remember, you can continue to donate to the Harvey Fund. Remember to continue to donate to give out of your first fruits, out of the things that the Lord has given to you to the church. I'll say last Sunday, we did record giving for Harvey. We did not much for Oikos. Now, I am always the one that says, we will be fine. But if it continues like last week, 
things will change. And that's okay. But things will change. It'll be different than what it is right now. And I want to just give that announcement not to shame or give you guilt. Because you should never give out of guilt. But just the reality. Is that sometimes we forget that if you don't give to the organization that's trying to do something, that organization will not exist in the same way as it has in the past. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks. I thank you first and foremost that you have gathered people together under your name into this place that we call Oikos. That we have been adopted as your children, that we get to be a part of your household. And Lord, as our city recovers, there are so many needs. And I thank you so much that our family has been out physically, spiritually, and emotionally attending to the needs that we see. And we could all do better, Lord. We could all give more time. We could all give more money. We could all listen more. So thank you for your grace that it's not what we do that determines whether or not we're in your family, but it's what you've done. And that's the message that we bring to every individual. We don't bring our qualifications or our past or our ability to help, but we bring you. So when we're cleaning out a house, Lord, if that's where you've placed us, give us the strength to endure. When we're sitting and listening to someone who's deeply hurt, give us the strength to listen. When we are addressing the spiritual darkness that we will encounter, guard us, Lord, with your angels and with your spirit so that we will not be afraid. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So we're in Titus, and this is really an exciting day in the life of Oikos. A few years ago, about two years ago, Oikos planted a church in Katy under the leadership of Frank Hart. And that church is called New Church. And New Church is actually in the efforts as well of mucking out houses, helping people recover, and they're doing an awesome job. Today, we also get to celebrate that we're planting another church, and that's the church in Montrose. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that at the end of the message. But as you get into the book of Titus, that's exactly what Paul has been doing, is planting one church after another after another. And more than likely, this church on the island of Crete, if you know where Crete is, how many of you know where Crete is? I wonder how many of you are lying. But anyways, the island of Crete is really close to Greece, right? And through the history of Crete, there's been a lot of war and bloodshed on whose island it is. Whether it was the Turks or it was the Greece or who would really have Crete. The island of Crete at this time was also known as an island of lazy, drunken people 
who didn't accomplish much. And I think it's interesting that Paul has so much care and concern for this church. More than likely, it had a few converts. We know in Acts, in Acts chapter 2, that there were some Christians that were there during the time of Pentecost. So there were some converts at the very beginning, the emerging church at the time of Pentecost, when thousands of people had flames of fire upon their head. Maybe a few of those returned to the island of Crete, returned home, and said, we just experienced something amazing. Paul visits them, who knows how many years. And a church is formed, and it begins to witness about who Jesus is. He now has his good servant Titus, someone he loves, he calls a son, travel to Crete and begin appointing elders. The elders at this time were probably overseeing many oikoses or house churches. So if you're an elder, you would oversee in our context two or three or four MCs. You wouldn't be the leader of all of them, but you would be making sure that those leaders were able to represent Jesus well. So he's talking to Titus saying, this is what I want you to look for as you appoint these elders. The elders were usually men, more than likely all men, because in that culture, they were the public figure of the house. So they represented their house even though the women of that day were more than likely the leader of the household. They made sure everything ran appropriately. So you needed both men and women, and Paul addresses Titus to talk to both of them about what your role looks like to make sure your house is attractive to outsiders. Now, Oikos is not known for pushing attractive ministry we don't try to go out there and say oh gosh everyone come and see oikos because we're just so awesome now sometimes jason and i talk about like we think we're pretty awesome <laughs> but that is not you don't won't see billboards of oikos out there going come to oikos this sunday and it's not because I think that that's necessarily wrong. It's just not where God has called us to be as a church. We promote family, developing relationships. And what Paul is doing with Titus is make sure that these elders understand that power of relationship. Make sure that they understand what it looks like to not just know about Jesus, but they have a relationship with Jesus. See, the problem in the early church is they had a lot of Jewish converts. And Judaism has a lot of laws. This is what you do to represent who we are. And the problem was it involved a lot of knowledge. So many people knew the word of God, but they didn't live the word of God. They didn't really know Jesus. Faith was absent at times. 
And some of the misdirection of the early church was, well, we're really Christians because we are circumcised. Or we're really Christians because we do this. Or we're really Christians because we do that. We could almost say that that's kind of like it is today, right? Well, we're really Christians because I'm a really good person. I'm a, re- I'm a good, I'm a real Christian because I drove all the way back from Chicago when flooding started and I bought a boat and I saved at least 10 people. That is an absolute lie. I did not do that. So I would be classified as a bad Christian or maybe not quite a Christian, right? But that's how our mind works sometimes because we look at what we do instead of who God has made us. Now, there is a correlation. So I don't want us to forget that because some, the other part of the church is Well, we don't have to do anything because Jesus did everything. So, let's just not do anything. In fact, if we do something, then we're negating what Jesus did. So, if we're really good Christians, then we don't do anything. Like, if Chuck falls off his chair right now, I'm not going to help you. But Jesus will. So there's a problem and there's a dilemma that we have to walk this line of who God made us to be, so how do we respond? Instead of, this is what we do so that God will accept us. So this big problem was not just early church. This is also for us. Sometimes we say we know Jesus, but we live in this culture that is so based on celebrity that I think we forget what that looks like. So I've been seeing some, as you walk through the grocery store, and I don't go to the grocery store that often, honestly, but when I do, you always have the magazine lines, right? And you can read all the stories. And then there's a couple movies out. How many of you know who Tom Cruise is? Okay. Now, how many of you think you kind of know who he is? Based on the information you've read, you know these Scientologists, you guys have already kind of played in this, like, if I say that I know him, he's going to say, no, you don't. <laughs> so we think we have all this information about him, right? Now, how many of you like him? Now, why don't you like him? Do you see how that works? Sometimes we base, we should all raise our hand that we like him. We don't know him. Aren't we supposed... I like his acting. (laughs) Or you like what he looks like. No. (laughs) Sometimes we say that we like someone based on what they do. Right? But do we really know them? So we make a judgment upon a person based on a bunch of information. But there's no relationship. It's really not quite fair. So the same thing is with God. 
We say we know him because we've got a lot of information. I'll tell you, there's a lot of seminary students that know a lot about God. There are some seminary students that know way more about God than I do, and yet they don't have a relationship with him. Because they focus their time on knowing and not believing. And what Paul is asking Titus to do is choose your elders, not just on what they know, but also how they believe. Because as they believe, there's a response to the faith that they know. In the book of Philippians, it says this. If you want to open up your Bibles, you can go ahead and do this. I didn't include this on the verse, so it won't be up on the screens. This came after I sent my outline. This is a little bit of just, you got to follow me. So, Philippians. Go to the book of Philippians. It's in the New Testament. It's in the letters. It's a letter that Paul wrote to the church of Philippi. We're in chapter 3, verse 7. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I became righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience. Let that sink in. I want to know and experience. This is Paul. The mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Paul doesn't see God as a book. Paul sees God as living and active. Paul knows that there's a lot to know about God. In fact, people have been writing about him before Paul for centuries. But he also knows there's something to experience in the here and now. And that's his mighty power. And too often, scholars step into the knowledge and say the experience is all foo-foo. But Paul says, I want elders in my church that can have a firm step in the knowledge about who God is, that they know Scripture. But I also want elders who know how to experience His power. That means when people are healed, it's not crazy for an elder of Paul. Because that's what he told Titus to do. When they talk about God's word, he wants them to know what they're talking about. 
but he also wants them to have a heart of faith that knows that God is more than just what we talk about. He's living and he's active. So in appointing the elders in chapter 1 of Titus, verses 5 and 7, it says, I left you on the island of Crete so that you could complete our work there and appoint elders in each town as I instructed you. An elder must live a blameless life. Sorry, Wynn. He must be faithful to his wife. And his children must be believers who don't have a reputation for being wild or rebellious. Well, have you guys all met Amaria? Okay. <laughs> a church leader is a manager of God's household. So he must live a blameless life. There's that blameless life again. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered. He must not be a heavy drinker. In fact, arrogant or quick-tempered. I don't know about all of you, but Monday is coming. And school is starting. And I'm saying to my kids, on Thursday, I'm like, you all need to go to school. <laughs> and I was getting pretty quick-tempered. I was failing in being calm, cool, and collected because they were driving me nuts. <laughs> he must not be a heavy drinker, violent, or dishonest with money. An elder must be blameless. When we look at a blameless life, a blameless life cannot be attained because we do everything correctly. A blameless life is not attained because we strive for perfection. A blameless life is not attained because we have a perfect life. Because, Lord, who could fill that? And what's real interesting is here he tells Titus this. On the island that's known for laziness and drunkenness. Who's he going to find? Right? And then Titus might be reading this going, Whew, I'm not that. Now, Titus probably was way better than me or any of us here. I don't know. But actually, he wasn't way better. Because he had to survive on the same thing that we do, and that's the blood of Christ. So what is a blameless life? A blameless life is a repentant life. That's the only way we become blameless. A blameless life includes both knowledge, knowledge that the Lord has called us to repentance, that some of the first words that Jesus said was repent and believe. Knowledge that we're called to be people who repent of our sins and acknowledge that we are humble in need of Jesus, that we need him. And faith that he actually gives forgiveness. Now, when I say that, you may go, oh, yeah, I totally, I believe but if I could pick out one thing in your life 
one sin, that sin that you keep on remembering, would you say, I believe I'm forgiven? We struggle there, right? Maybe you don't. I do. I struggle in the sins that I go, I know he says he forgives me, but I'm not sure if I've experienced it yet. So I know it, but Lord, help me experience it. Help me to grab onto it. And I know feelings are fickle. But sometimes I have to feel it to believe it. And I know that's trite, and that's just a, but it's true, right? That's why people say it. Sometimes you have to feel it to believe it, and yet we know that faith is of the unseen, of the things that we hope for but cannot see. And so what God often invites us into is, I need you to believe it even if you don't feel it. I need you to believe that I am consistent and sure and that my promises I make to you are not broken. A repentant life. Do we wake up every day and say, Lord, forgive me for the things that I thought about last night as I dreamed, whether I remember them or don't. A repentant life includes, Lord, for those relationships that I've broken, have I come to you first and said, forgive me, so that I can go to that person and ask for their forgiveness as well? Do I go to bed at night and do I say, Lord, I repent of the things that I've done? Now help me live a life that you've called me to. Help me change, right? Repentance is not just sorry. It's not just, I'm sorry. Repentance is, I'm sorry. Now give me the power to change. Give me the strength to change. Help me, Lord, to change. But help me not live for the result. But instead, live in the progress. The thing is, is that forgiveness the ultimate result will not come until Jesus comes again. The ultimate result will not come until we're with him face to face. So he calls us as a people in repentant lives to know that forgiveness, though we get a great taste of it, we won't really feel it completely until he comes again. Boy, that, and I wish I could say, it's going to be different for you. But it won't. That sin that is back there, that you push back, he's asking you to just keep pushing it back. Remind you of the word that he says, that you are forgiven and that I love you and that you are a part of my family. Even though you don't quite have it because you want it to be gone, right? How many of you want your sin to be totally gone when you ask for forgiveness? Oh, I do. I want to just sit down and go, Lord, forgive me for this, this, and this. And then, 
la, right? You don't remember it. You move on. You get to do things in joy. There's no question in your mind about who you are because you, you are a son of God. But he's asking us to live in that tension so that we can speak life into those who don't even know that there's tension, who don't even know that there's hope. He says, rather, this is in verse 8. So he just told them, this is what you should not have if they're not blameless. So if they're not living a repentant life, kind of cross that person off. But rather, he must enjoy having guests in his home. He must love what is good. He must live wisely and be just. He must live a devout and disciplined life. He must have a strong belief in the trustworthy message he was taught. And he will be able to encourage others with wholesome teaching and show those who oppose it where they are, where they are wrong. It's interesting. The list that he gives us for what they should be is basically hospitable, good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He starts out with hospitable. Isn't that interesting? Well, it plays right into oikos, right? To me, hospitable is a transparency value. It means that you're willing to have people into your life that they get to view what you look like when your kids are home and they're over. How do you treat your wife? Or how does the wife treat her husband when they're in your home? What does your house look like? Is it taken care of? Or is it an utter disaster? What does it look like as you speak to your guests? How have you prepared for your guests? Do you care about your guests? Hospitable. Because I think what Paul's saying here is that it's very difficult to actually see the goodness or the self-control or someone who's upright or holy or disciplined unless you take a step into their home. Now, does that mean that he'd have time to step into everybody's house and if they had one argument with their wife, cross them off the list? What I think he's saying here is hospitable isn't a one-time event. Hospitable is that you're welcome anytime. It's like a spot check, right? Come on over anytime. And when you walk into that house, is there a sense of peace that you receive? Or is there disorder? And if there is disorder, how does that person that you're considering as an elder handle it? Are they self-controlled? Are they blameless? Are they repentant? Do they go after reconciliation?
I think it's difficult to see these other characteristics unless you get into the house. And that's why here at Oikos, we believe that our leaders should be hospitable. They should be willing to invite others into their home. And as we invite you into our home, you get to see us. You can only cover so much up when you have people over to your house. I mean, you can only, we lived with Sarah's cousin for a week while we were stuck in Chicago. And as I was going, just living there, you open up places where you go, oh yeah, they shoved everything in that place before we got here, right? You're using the bathroom that their two little boys were in. And Sarah and I, the first thing was like, yeah, tomorrow we're cleaning that sucker. I mean, that's just who we are. I even cleaned some things that then I found out I wasn't supposed to clean that with this thing that I cleaned it with. And I was like, well, sorry. We're just trying to love you. When you have people into your home, they discover things. And what we want as leaders is that we're not afraid that people discover stuff. If it's something that's not peaceful, what that means is it's an opportunity for that leader to grow. If it's something that's good and imitatable, it's something that people who go into that house can take away. And that's why I believe so strongly that ministry doesn't just happen here on Sunday morning. It happens when our MC leaders invite all of you to be participants in their homes. It happens when all of you invite your neighbors to your house. It happens when you invite people in and you help them experience what it looks like to have life with Jesus. The message that we give comes from the end of Titus, chapter 3, verses 3 through 8. Once we too were foolish and disobedient, we were misled and became slaves to the many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy, and we hated each other. But when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ our Savior. Because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to insist on these teachings so that all who trust in God will devote themselves to doing good. These teachings are good and beneficial for everyone. Today, we get to celebrate as a church that we are launching another church. Is that exciting? And I believe full-heartedly that as Ian and Rachel and Wynn begin this ministry, as the Spanglers join them in this ministry, as Frank joins them in this ministry, as they work together as a core of Oikos Montrose, and any other person that say, you know what, I want to be a part of that because I want to be able to give a message of peace and reconciliation. I want to step into people's homes and remind them that their house could be a house of peace as well. 
And I want to help them invite those who do not know peace, who do not know Jesus, who have never experienced and do not know what God thinks about them. That they can go into their house and begin to experience what it looks like to have hope. So at this time, I want to invite the Oikos group in Montrose to go on over to the font. And what we're going to do is what we often do with baptisms. Because in a sense, this is new life happening in Montrose. Now there are other churches there, and there are other people there. But God is working within this community right now to begin to open up new homes, new houses of peace throughout the city. And my goal would be that five, ten years from now, that Oikos Montrose would not be alone, but we would have Oikos Heights, Oikos Edo, Oikos University Place, Oikos Shepherd Park Plaza, Oikos Myerland. And maybe they wouldn't even have the name Oikos, but they would be invited to. And we would continue to hit the city with houses of peace where people can go and experience Jesus. So if you want to gather around them, let's pray. You forgot about the train. <gasps> and Oikos the tray. No. <laughs> As we gather, you can lay your hand on somebody. We're all connected as a family. And before we pray, Wynn, why don't you tell us a little bit about what the Lord's put on your heart for this ministry? Sure. So we here at Oikos, all of us have some story of how we ended up here. Um, some are longer journeys, some are shorter journeys, but there is something that we cannot deny, and that is that the Lord has brought us here uniquely, and that the Lord has blessed us, each and every one of us, through Oikos. And so as Oikos Montrose steps out and says, we are a church, is we want more of those stories. And we believe that the Lord is asking us to create those houses of peace where somebody can walk in and say, wow my home. This is my church. This is my group of people that I want to walk through life with. And so as we do that, I look around at those that said that they want to do it with me. And we have our own unique stories. Some of them are being fired twice from a restaurant <laughs> and still walking together. <laughs> Some are um, inviting people into stuff that they never say no to and continually say yes to. And that's the Spanglers. And, uh, and walking through um, difficulties in relationships, walking through exciting times in relationships, is we want to create that house in Montrose where people can come and step in and say, this is my home. Awesome. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you that you are a great God. And you work in small things. We're not the largest church we don't have the most people, 
But Lord, you continue to do amazing things here. Help us to be awed and inspired each day that as you work through the small things, you accomplish your things. Help us not to get ahead of you and instead walk alongside of you. And Lord, not to just seek you when things are going poorly, but to give thanks as things go greatly. Lord, we, we know that often we, we get misguided. And just as the early church, we may get stuck on something. Like, we need to plant more churches so that we're a really good church. Instead, Lord, we just ask that you would allow us to be your children. So that people would come to experience you. That we would be content with the place that you put us. Instead of seeking for other places. Lord, help us to be as a church that we would grow together as a family. And Lord, as we start new houses of peace, I do pray that you would allow our connections with one another to stay strong. That we wouldn't become a fragmented family, but instead we would become stronger. And as we reach more and more people and different people, that we would have a better understanding of one another that we'd have more grace with one another, that we'd operate as your son operated in his time here on earth, that he would listen, that he'd pray, that he'd heal, and he would send. Lord, help us to be a family that's united and strong, that forgives one another, that repents and believes. And Jason's going to close us up. God, I pray for the worship that this home in Montrose, the Durong household, that as they open up their doors, as they open up their lives, that they may give an opportunity for, for those in Montrose and beyond to experience the peace that we've talked about. The peace that passes all understanding. I pray over Ian that as he facilitates the worship environment, that as him and Wynn and Rachel work together as the rest of their core families, um, that the worship may, be, um, may bring life, that it may be life-giving as, um, as they worship together through the way they live, through the way they serve, through the way they love, and as they come together corporately to sing. Uh, may there be intimate relationships with you that are developed. Uh, may their worship be genuine. And may they not hold back. When people experience worship in the Durong household and in the Moore household and in the Spangler and the Perea and everyone else, Lord, uh, who is on this journey with them, um, may people be directed to you. So may the life that they live be attractive. May the life that they live in the kingdom of God show people that there's a different life that can be lived, full of peace and hope and love and joy. So um, I pray that, um, that you may their relationships with one another become strong. May this be a team, Oikos Machos, that is united in vision, in spirit, in love. May they build one another up, encourage one another, um, and bring a true sense of family into Montrose that is centered on Jesus. 
So, Lord, go with them. May your Holy Spirit move and breathe, and may we see revival and incredible disciples being made for the kingdom of God in Montrose. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. And now we pray the prayer that the Lord taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. All right, let's go ahead and worship the Lord as we close out worship today.